0: Okay, so today we're going to be looking at chapter 9 in the book Resilient by John Eldridge. And the title of this chapter is called Your Prescription. Looking at what is our plan to become more resilient? What are we going to actually do in our pursuit for resilience? and i love at the start of this chapter he he starts to give us a bit of a snapshot of what we've already looked at so far in this book as he surmises uh the cultural moment we find ourselves in today and he brings up four points the first point is that uh, he says we've all been softened weakened robbed of resilience uh, by years of living in what he calls comfort culture Secondly, then came the global trauma in the years of the pandemic and with it, it's sociodramas. And so we are, as a result, depleted and beaten up. The third thing he says is we are in trauma rehab right now and we need to take this rehab seriously. Pretending that everything is back to normal is delusional. And fourthly, he says, uh, we are therefore in an especially vulnerable place right now. Desolation and other predatory forces are trying to make us give up lose heart abandon our faith or simply give our hearts to comforters other than god so he makes this statement he says so what are your plans to make it through resilience and victory are not going to come with a swipe on your home screen uh, just like comfort culture entered our life by the swipe on our home screen, we could swipe to get uh, home delivery for our groceries. We could swipe to get meals delivered to our home. We could swipe to get information uh, at the click of a finger. But uh, but resilience and victory is not going to come that way. It's not going to come through comfort. It's going to come through discipline. And what is our plan to get resilience uh, inside of us in the, the, the weeks, months, and years that are ahead. I love his honesty. In in page one hundred fifty-seven, he says, "Look, I want to make suggestions that I know would be truly helpful." He says, "I also recognise that most folks feel as though they have no margin, emotionally, mentally, or in any other way, and the last thing I want to do is increase your load." So let me first say this: If you do nothing else, and you really want recovery and resilience, I would strongly recommend two things. And then he gives two, two things that he says would be super helpful if you could do nothing else to build resilience. First of all, renew your love and devotion to Jesus. Give time each day to loving him. And the second thing he says is create a little margin in your life to allow your soul room to breathe. And, and I personally find uh, the Pause app that he has designed is brilliant for this. Um, and this helps us to uh, to get, like we looked at last week, get past the shallows of our life, move into the Midlands to ultimately get down to the, the deep depths of our soul, our inmost being where God dwells. And in that place, when we create margin to get there, our soul begins to breathe. We actually uh, renew our love and devotion to Jesus. And that will at least give us a fighting chance of Um, developing uh, greater resilience in this life but as the chapter continues to unpack if you want to take resilience a bit more seriously if you want to level up uh, with resilience um, he gives us a two-part prescription it's quite meaty Uh, there's a lot there so uh, strap in and get ready for the ride so part one he talks about embracing recovery now, athletes understand that their peak performance is hinged on the quality of their rest and recovery between workouts. And the same is true for our souls, that, that we can't just go from hard work to hard circumstance to, to, to pandemic to uh, problem to all these different things that we face in life without an adequate rest or adequate recovery between those things. We, we tend to live in a state of heightened being, heightened emotions and, and, and giving ourselves this margin we talk about to breathe is so important for our souls. An athlete cannot perform at, at, at his or her peak level um, unless they have adequate rest and recovery between workouts. But most people don't take their recovery seriously, their soul recovery. They, they're simply shocked or heartbroken when their soul suddenly gives out like the camel who's walked a thousand miles and suddenly just drops it's like we we get shocked and surprised by that but we haven't put adequate stops and measures in place to be able to give ourselves time to to breathe recover and rest so the question needs to be asked and how will you build recovery in your life what like what literally what is your plan what what is your plan to build in this margin to give yourself rest and recovery for your soul and i kind of think this is the beauty of the sabbath right like the the sabbath is something that i think is sorely misunderstood and underutilized in western protestant churches today Uh, the the sabbath is in my opinion and in my study I, i would say the sabbath is not um a duty that God puts on us for religious obligation. It is a beautiful gift that God has given us to accept, to create margin in our life for our souls to breathe, for us to enjoy uh, the beauty that is life without rushing from pillar to post, um, day in, day out. We can put a 24-hour period of time aside to simply rest, enjoy, worship, um, have fun and be intentional about living our life well so then he goes on and talks about um, the need for us to replenish our reserves so our plan for recovery our plan for resilience uh, must include a way to ensure that adjustments are made to replenish your reserves now, our, our reserves are those things deep within us that we draw upon in times of stress or trauma or or hardship or or high emotional mental exertion. We, we delve, delve deep into our reserves, and if we're not replenishing those, that's where burnout occurs. And so one way we replenish our reserves is when we ensure that more is coming in than is flowing out, um, where our input exceeds our output. And so so that's something we need to I guess, really consider well and put some thought into is, am I creating space and time for more input into my soul, into my mind, into my spirit than I am just outputting to others and and things around me? So here's some things to consider. Um, I would would consider the use of your phone. How do you use your phone? Uh, Are you parenting your phone and leading it or is it parenting and leading you? Are you Constantly looking at it, diving to it and scrolling on it. Is it capturing your attention and affection in such a way that it is distracting you from uh, giving yourself adequate time to just rest and recover and relax and enjoy life? I would consider the friends you keep company with. Uh, are they the kind of friends that would input into you and build you up or friends that constantly need something from you are asking and demanding stuff from you? you? You feel like you are, are constantly pouring out into them i would then consider the kind of friends you hang out with and and make sure that you are putting yourself around people who who love you want the best for you that that aren't overly needy but i I want to pour into your life uh the time you spend at work Um, are you a workaholic do you spend too much time at work uh, expelling energy you know emotionally mentally physically or otherwise so I, w- I would look at that um and how do you look at i would look at your scheduled leave your annual leave are you having adequate rest each year are you using your four weeks annual leave to to have a holiday or a staycation whatever you can afford but just having time where you're not producing or having the pressure to have to work and so he talks about this thing called sacred margin and I wonder how many of us actually have sacred margin in our life. Sacred margin is, is this sense of untouchable or non-negotiable time that we set aside for replenishment and joy. And so th- some things to consider with that is, is when we, we have this, uh, you know, this sacred margin, then we, we start to ask questions like, well, do I need to have my parents for dinner this week? if it's going to impinge on me having this sacred margin? Do I, do I need to repaint the spare room or do that project in the garden this weekend when it's going to impinge on me actually having adequate time to reset and recharge my soul? Do I, do I need to return that phone call tonight or should I just be present with my wife and with my children and enjoy family time? And the thing I want to remind us all about is that we are ridiculously in control of our life we are ridiculously in control of our schedule or at least we should be and maybe some of us need to reclaim the control over our life maybe some of us need to reclaim the control over our schedules and rather than be pulled in every direction by other people's expectations of us or things that we have put in our life that are, are, are good but not necessarily the most important, maybe we need to gain control over those things and reschedule and reprioritize our world for the things that actually have um, the most importance for our longevity of health, uh, mentally, emotionally, and otherwise. Uh, so the next thing he talks about is this idea of, uh, he calls it the surprising importance of play. Now, it's no secret that play helps release the tension of our lives and bring us joy. But play is not just for children. Um, play is not just for kiddies to come around and have a play date. Play is something that, that we all, no matter how old we are, no matter how we feel, play is something that, that is super important to us for our um, sense of joy and well-being and And, in the book, he talks about how men at war are often found playing games uh, at at their base as a way of easing the tension and processing the stress and anxiety of of living in in, in a war type environment um, and I think about you know the, the anzacs and the 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 classic Aussie tradition of two up that, that stemmed from the war that they would play two up as a way of um, having fun and being playful in a time that was incredibly stressful. And, and anxious for them now, for me, I, I like to play basketball that that is a way that I play, and that helps me escape um, uh, to a place of joy and replenishment i, I don't i can 't fully explain it it 's weird, but there is, there is something satisfying in my soul when it sees a basketball just fall through a net, um, fly through the air and pass through a net, there is something oddly satisfying that I cannot explain, but it has a truly calming effect on my soul. And so the question for you was, well, how do you have fun? What is it that you find playful, and how could you schedule play into your daily or weekly schedule? And if you don't have playtime, why not? And how could you start to do that today? How could you have more fun today in your world? And then, then he, he moves on from um, what he calls part one of embracing recovery to, to part two of embracing resilience. Uh, so we also need to rearrange our lives to develop resilience both mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So he starts to talk then about this mental resilience. And mental resilience begins when we decide to take control of our thought life. And as I said before, um, we are ridiculously in control of our life, or at least we should be. And so when it comes to our mental resilience, we need to understand that we are actually in control of our thought life. Most of us speculate about things and and create scenarios in our minds that simply do not exist. And these, these speculations run wild without restraint in our minds. And we start to have these thoughts over and over again, like, why didn't they return my text? I know they've read it. They must be mad at me. Maybe they don't want to be friends with me anymore. Maybe it's because of what I said last week. Oh my gosh, maybe they don't like me. Uh, and we start to go on these crazy tangents because we speculate about things. We create scenarios in our mind that don't exist because our our, our minds need to be tamed our mental life needs to be controlled we need to take all thoughts and surrender it to Christ and and this might be this weird example about you know not returning a text message and and, you know how how we extrapolate that out Um, but is it really a silly example because I'm sure many of us have either had that exact scenario or something very similar to it that has played games in our heads and it's actually exhausting Speculating is, is draining. And when we think about Jesus in Matthew six thirty four, 34, he, he tells us, he, he commands us not to worry. So speculation can be then seen as a violation of Jesus' command not to worry. It can be seen as a violation of this faith, hope and love that Jesus has brought into our life. And so when we get control over our mental life, we don't allow those thoughts to just run wild um, and therefore create this unnecessary worry in our minds that we can actually come back to that place of going, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to, I'm going to live in faith and hope and love and trust you. So whenever we find ourselves speculating, Eldridge would say that we need to tell ourselves to stop it and to bring our thoughts back under control. Um, and, and I know that that can be easier said than done, but at least that gives us a starting point to get control of our mental resilience, to just tell ourselves, "Ah, stop it, don't go there, don't follow that, that train of thought that is not true. These things are, are lies, they are speculations, and I'm going to come back to what actually is true and keep my mind um, focused on, on the truth so that we can be in control of, um, of what's happening. Um, You know what doesn't help our mental resilience at all? Social media. See, the data shows that there is a direct correlation between rising rates of anxiety and depression with the amount of time that one spends on social media. This is the data. This is what it's showing, that the more time somebody spends on social media, there is a direct correlation to the the rates of anxiety and depression in their lives. So so begs the question then, well, why spend any time on social media at all? Like, ask yourself that question. If there is direct correlation, and there is, between your mental health and your resilience and social media's impact on that, well, then why would we do that? i have this wrestle with social media all the time like I, I i'm so tempted daily just to delete it like i don't post on there i just i'm one of those weird stalkers that just watch the stuff and basically i use that to follow my interests and things that i like and get information about that and um but really it it doesn't actually add any value to my life and so i'm in that phase now of going. well do i even want this in my life is it helpful for me and my mental resilience and then we move on from mental resilience, and this, these, these two are, uh, uh, are connected quite intimately, and that, that is emotional resilience. Um, see, our mental resilience will help us build emotional resilience. We can't let, and we've got to be really careful of this, we can't let our emotions drive the bus of our life. They cannot control us. You see, years of living in the comfort culture has made us emotionally soft if we don't feel like doing something guess what we just don't do it if we don't feel like believing something we just don't believe it and 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 people like to call this authenticity i'm just being my authentic self if i don't feel like doing it i won't do that and if i don't feel like believing that anymore i just won't believe that anymore and i'm just being me i am being my authentic self well what that actually is, according to Eldridge, and I would sort of agree with him, that's not authenticity, that's adolescence. Um, my, my children uh, don't make their bed most mornings because they don't feel like it. Um, And that's not them being their authentic self, that's just them being young and immature and not understanding the discipline of of making one's bed. So oftentimes in life, the things that we want to do, we we don't do. And it's like Paul says, but the things I, I want to do, I don't do because there's this spirit of adolescence in us where we need to get control over that to do the things that are most important. And we tend to coddle our feelings. What we need to do is bring them under the rule of Christ, just like our thought life. We take all thoughts and all emotions and we surrender them to Christ. See, we honor our emotions by acknowledging them. We don't want to ignore our emotions. That that becomes incredibly problematic when we ignore our emotions. Um, We want to honor our emotions by acknowledging them, but we bridle our emotions by keeping them subjected to truth. And, and, And that is super important to do that that our emotions are a wonderful slave but a terrible master and if we can then utilize our emotions for what they are designed to do, which is to help us cope with and process external stimulus and things like that, then, then we will cry when necessary. We will laugh when appropriate. We will, we will get angry when it's the right time. But, but we're not letting those emotions be our default position to respond when, when we have no uh, actual control over them. That's when it becomes problematic when our emotions become our master and we become their slave see it's like I love Daniel's response and I love that this example is in chapter nine and I've always loved this thought of uh, of Daniel's response to King Nebuchadnezzar um, and and so the story goes that, that, that Daniel was um, forced to, uh, three times a day, they wanted him to bow down and, and worship this idol, um, this, this false Babylonian idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. And if, if they didn't do that, there would be severe consequences. And, and Daniel's like, uh, no, sorry, time out, I, I'm not... Surrendering to the culture, um, I'm not surrendering to the pool of compromise for any other thing because I will worship my God only. And, and I, I love what he says like he's threatened with the fiery furnace um, if he doesn't bow down and worship. He's like, No, no, I'm not going to compromise my faith. I'm only going to worship the one true God, creator God. And, and, and I know that God will rescue me from your persecution. I know that he can, but even if he doesn't, nothing will shift my allegiance to him and I will follow him and him alone. He had control over his emotions. He had control over his mental state. And this serves as a great example for us in a day and age where we are being screamed at to disconnect our allegiance from Christ and follow the, our flesh and our personal desires, follow the standards of this world. Um, but it's critical for us to, uh, to not lose control of, of the narrative of our life by following and flowing with the systems of this world. We simply cannot give it running room because it will absolutely um, chew us up and spit us out. We need to get control over our emotions and make sure that we are surrendered to Christ and Him alone. Um, moving on. Uh, the, the mistake most of us make is trying to figure out how to fit a little bit more of God into our already crowded lives. But the reality is we need to do the opposite. We need to start with God center our life on him and work outward from there. Our spirituality moves from something that is part of our lives to to the epicenter of our life, from which all other things flow and to which all other plans will yield. When we arrange our days to be centered around our life in God, we position ourselves to, to draw upon his strength for our resilience. It's the only way we're going to make it. If we have made God our priority, and if we have a history of tapping into him, then, when we are in a, then we are in a much better position to draw upon his resilience when crisis comes. And so last year, in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, we looked at uh, developing a rule of life and uh and we went through all these spiritual disciplines that really help us build our life in christ and um, obviously become more resilient as this book would would say and so i handed out like a sheet that summarized the different rules of life and then like a a template sheet for us to fill in you know daily weekly monthly annually what we wanted to do in regard to these spiritual disciplines to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, um, looking at things like the daily office, Sabbath, our scripture study, uh, living simply, silence and solitude, the mission we are on, uh, recreation or playtime as we called it today, what we want for our family, our community, our physical health, our financial health, and our emotional health. Uh, and if you want a copy of that please just let me know and i can email that to you but i think it's important that maybe we revisit that to develop a rule of life to become more intentional about getting control and getting mastery over our life both both mentally emotionally and physically so that we can position ourselves in the best possible place for god to strengthen us to make us more resilient and i'll finish with this and that is that your plan is your prescription without a plan for our resilience we do not have a prescription against uh the the onslaught of information of trauma of opposition uh, both internally and externally that we face in this world that that our plan our rule of life What we're going to do to gain control over our emotions, over our mental health, over our mental resilience is super important for us to to have the strength that having done all to stand, we will continue to stand as followers of Jesus. So let me ask this question as as we close today. How are you going to adjust your life for recovery and resilience? How are you going to push against the comfort culture that has made us emotionally and mentally soft, so that we could be the the, the, the strength and the strong tower that God has designed us and called us to be let 's pray as we as we close today, Lord, I thank you for every single person listening to this message God, I thank you for this chapter um, uh, about us uh, having a prescription that would be our plan for recovery and resilience. Lord, would you help us to um, embrace recovery? Would you help us to embrace resilience, Lord God, and that we would just see you do mighty things in and through us in Jesus' name. Amen.